We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles and turn with me today to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning, let me remind you to be with us Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We're in the book of Revelation right here in the sanctuary. We'll finish chapter 2 and move into chapter 3 this Wednesday night. So please make the time. Put it in your schedule. Come and join us for a great time in God's Word. Impact Girls, Royal Rangers, and youth also will be meeting on Wednesday night. So come and be a part. Also, if you've never been baptized in water since you believed, next Sunday morning we're having a water baptismal service during the 1030 service. There's a sign-up sheet out at guest services. Please get your name on that sheet and be a part of following the Lord in water baptism. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. This week and next Sunday, I want to talk to you about reconciliation. How it's a priority and actually a mandate from God to you and I as believers because God first reconciled us to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. So pick it up in verse 18 with me. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Five times in these verses you find the word reconcile or reconciliation or reconciled. So it must be pretty important since Paul is driving this point home. And the first thing he tells us is because we've been reconciled to God, God then gives to us. That's you and me. It's not preachers, it's you and me. He gives to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now somebody needs to read that and say, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't impute my trespasses to me, but Christ bore the penalty and the punishment for my sin. That's worth a hallelujah, don't you think? That's worth a thank you, Jesus, that you did that for me. And because of that, do you hear what he says? He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Word is logos in the Greek. It literally means message. It's truth. It's revelation. He has given to us the truth or the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Wow. Have you ever read that and really understood it? We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Have you ever viewed your Christian life from that perspective? Not only am I to be a minister of reconciliation, not only do I have a word or a message of reconciliation, but God pleads through me to those who need to be reconciled with him. That's a powerful, powerful word in that passage of Scripture. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, I pray this morning for your anointing upon the preaching of your word. Touch my lips and touch the hearts of every listener. Both those in this room, those who are online, those who will watch later. Touch their hearts right now. Prepare the soil to receive the Word of God. And let it fall on good soil this morning to bear eternal fruit in each one of our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
You know, when I read these words, I first have to stop and think about the church in Corinth. A lot of times we think the New Testament church had it all together. They were perfect. Kind of reminds me of the sign that I saw out on the billboard before a church. It said, uh, don't let worries kill you, let the church help. Sometimes that's the way it is, isn't it? It's like the guy that died and they were having his funeral service. And as the pallbearers were carrying the casket back out, they bumped the wall and they heard a moan from inside the casket. So they stopped, set it down, opened it up, and the guy was still alive. So when he lived for another 10 years at his second funeral service, as the pallbearers were carrying him back out, his wife on the front row yells, watch that wall. <laughs> we think the church had it all together in the New Testament, but that's really not the case. We look back and we think, oh, it was, it was nearly perfect, as perfect as it could have been. Well, when you read Acts chapter chapter 2 and through the end of the book, you'll find that really wasn't true. Acts chapter 2 down through about chapter 4, things were going pretty well and the church was growing and increasing and miracles were happening. But when you get to chapter 5, you know what happens? There's a couple who was struck dead for lying to the Holy Ghost. Now that's some pretty serious stuff going on in the church. You can go on and read that in chapter 6, there was a great division, strife, fighting between two groups of Jews over how their widows were being cared for by the church. And by the time we get to the Corinthian church, which was planted by the Apostle Paul, things were really a mess. It was not pretty, it was messy. Listen to me, church is messy because we're messy. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're never going to find it because it's all filled with messy people. And we bring our messes into the building, into the church with us, and then sometimes those things play out and we have to deal with the mess. You know what I mean? So we understand the New Testament church was not perfect, nor is this church perfect, nor was the Corinthian church perfect. Matter of fact, you can read on through the book of Revelation where we're at on Wednesday night. And you can read chapters 2 and 3 and read the messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor. All but two were rebuked because of the messes that were in their midst. That's something to think about. Something to realize and dawn on. You know, so many people leave the church because, oh, this happened or that happened or I was offended or I didn't like what they said or they didn't do it the right way. Messes. We bring our messes into the body of Christ, and then we get offended when those things act out. Can I tell you, Paul is telling us very clearly, there is no perfect place, there is no perfect church, and there are no perfect people. So we need to grasp this concept of the ministry of reconciliation. We deceive ourselves when we think we should be able to retreat into a building like this called a church and somehow be isolated from the evils of the world. Can I tell you that we carry it in with us? It carry it in with us, and as a result, we see these things in the church. Remember this, the church is not the place where we go to escape from sin. It's the place we go to confront our sin, and to be encouraged by other believers to live a biblical lifestyle. So friend, if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for being here. If you're watching online for the first time, thank you for watching. But let me tell you, you have not found a perfect church. You have not found a perfect pastor. You have not found a perfect people. Because this side of heaven, it just doesn't exist. And may I tell you, it's time to stop bouncing from pillar to post, 
looking for that place of perfection. And it's time to be rooted and grounded in the body of Christ and let God grow you where he has planted you to be. Amen. The church should not be a revolving door. And it is a revolving door because the first time I get offended, I'm out. The first time somebody says something I don't like, I'm out. The first time I hear about behavior that's not biblical, I'm out. Years ago, the first church I pastored, there was a guy down the road a few miles who had pastored a church and he committed adultery. And and one day he showed up with his girlfriend in our service. Some of the folks were appalled, but I'll never forget one what a lesson one old deacon taught me. As we were talking about this and how to handle it, he looked at me and he said, Pastor, what kind of sinners do we want in this church? You all need to think about that. Because we think, well, you have to be washed and clean before you come in. Oh, come on, let God bring them in and take care of the work. Quit judging people and let God do a work of reconciliation in and through you. The church is not a place where we go to escape from sin. It's the place we go to confront our sin and receive help to live biblical lives. Church in Corinth was a church that was filled with issues. They were suing each other over frivolous things, lawsuits. There was all kinds of indulgences allowed and sexual immorality. There was a misuse and abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There was division and strife. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter. And on and on they went. They would not unify and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's interesting. Matter of fact, you probably ought to turn there and look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When Paul first writes to this group of dysfunctional believers. Dysfunctional believers. This is what he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. He says, I'm I'm thankful for the mercies and the comfort of God who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds through Christ. Now, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring and the same sufferings which we also suffered. Or if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you, listen to this, in the midst of a mess, this is what Paul wrote to them. Our hope for you is steadfast. Because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so you will partake with the consolation. What's he saying? He's saying to them very clearly, it's not about good intentions or diligent efforts. It's about the hope in the one who has called us and redeemed us and set us apart through Jesus Christ. He's saying our hope for you is in Jesus Christ. And he's saying that I believe God will abundantly provide for every spiritual need in that church. And he's saying it's in his faithfulness, in God's faithfulness, in the God who started the work in you, that he will commit it and continue it against that day. He wrote these words to Timothy, For I know in whom I am persuaded, that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Oh, come on, folks, it's time to stop looking at each other and start looking at the king. It's time to realize he's given us a word, a ministry of reconciliation. God pleads through us to those around us that we would be reconciled with Christ 
and with one another. See, if there's hope for the lost, listen to this statement. If there's hope for the lost through Jesus Christ, then there's even more hope for those of us who are saved that when we fall short of the standard, He will lift us up and buoy us to the place He wants us to be through the word of reconciliation. God is able. One of my biggest roles as a pastor, it seems, is conflict resolution. I'll never forget the couple that came in years ago in a church I was pastoring. And they sat down and began to tell me about the conflict they had with another couple in the church. And I wasn't very wise back then, so I listened for about an hour. Finally, I I, I said to them, well, have you talked to this couple? Well, no, we wanted to talk to you. Well, don't you understand the Bible says if you have a conflict with your brother, you go to that brother. And if the brother won't listen and you can't reconcile, then you get me involved. But you have to take the first step first. So let's set up a meeting between you and this couple. And they were appalled. This is her exact quote. I'll never forget it. 25 years later, she said, looked at her husband and said, Larry, I told you he was a confronter. And I told you he'd make us confront them. And I won't have anything to do with that. They walked out and never came back to that church. And I bet if you could find Larry and Leanne today, they would be sitting in some church somewhere still nursing that hurt from 25 years ago because they never allowed God to move through the ministry of reconciliation. Now, it's just not Larry and Leanne. There's some of you in this room this morning. They're in the exact same boat. You need to be reconciled. Some need to be reconciled to God and have your sins forgiven and your life forever changed. And some need to be reconciled to one another. Some need to make amends. You see, reconciliation begins with forgiveness. You need to write this down. It's not in your notes. Reconciliation begins with forgiveness and it ends with restored relationship. It begins with forgiveness. It ends with restored relationship. There's a lot of times we begin the process and we forgive or we... receive forgiveness, but we never move to the next step. Matter of fact, we choose to employ the logic of man. Burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. I'll forgive you, but I'll never trust you again. How many have ever... No, don't don't raise your hands. I'm the only one in the room that ever thinks like that. But I tell you, I've thought like that. Don't you even try to do that to me again, son. I'm wise to you now. I got your number. But that's not reconciliation. It's not, I can forgive someone and I can forget the hurt and the pain and the anger they may have caused. But until I renew the relationship, reconciliation has not occurred. See, so the word tells us that it begins with forgiveness. It ends with a restored relationship. God is saying, Paul is saying, God is saying to us through the Apostle Paul, God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, and the responsibility for reconciliation. In the Old Testament, the word that's translated from the Greek, reconciliation, is the Hebrew word kafar. And it's one of the most theologically significant words in the Bible. It's translated several ways into English besides just reconciliation. It's translated forgiveness. It's translated to purge away. It's translated as merciful. But listen to this. The most common translation for the Hebrew word kafar is the word atonement in the English language. And atonement means that we live in a condition without tension. When Jesus died on the cross, 
and bore the penalty and the punishment for your sin and for mine. He atoned for our sin. And as a result, we can now live without tension between ourselves and God. That source of conflict, that source of tension is gone because of what Jesus did. That's what reconciliation means. We live without tension in that relationship with God and as a result, one another. When Christ died for us, he removed the tension between us and God. That's what Romans chapter 5 verse 10 tells us. That's what our text tells us in chapter 16 or verse 16 through 21. His shed blood reconciled the conflict between me and God. His shed blood made us no longer enemies, but friends, sons and daughters of the Most High God because Jesus reconciled, atoned for our sins. So the Bible teaches us three things about reconciliation. By the way, we won't get through your outline this morning. The part on the right, we're going to do the part on the left. That's next week. So you can read and be ready for it next week. All right. The first thing the Bible teaches about reconciliation is it must be a priority in our lives. You see, we put forgiveness as a priority. You offended me. I forgive you. You know, I wish that all of you would adopt the attitude that it doesn't matter what you say or what you do. You're not going to offend me. Can I tell you, it's a life of liberty when you live in that position. You're not going to offend me. You can say the most vile things about me. You're not going to offend me. You may make me mad, but I'm not going to let that anger become an offense because Paul said, be angry and sin not. In other words, deal with it and get over it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't harbor offense. Don't be open to offense. Stop walking around with the chip on your shoulder, daring somebody to knock it off. Because I assure you, there's about a hundred people in the church that'll be happy to knock it off. (laughs) Amen. It'll happen. So if you're walking around looking to be offended, you're going to be offended all the time. And I got news for you. I don't have time to counsel you. Dr. Fields may. But I don't. Now, I don't don't have the patience. Because you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you, this is what the Word said. Apply the Word. Grow up and be a man or a woman of God. Quit acting like a baby. That's what I'm going to tell you. You probably don't want to be counseled by me, do you? But Dr. Fields is much more compassionate than I am. She's a great listener. I highly recommend her to all of you in this room and all of you watching online. I just cleared my schedule. Anika, isn't that great? That's wonderful. I love it. That is so, it's great to have a psychologist in the church. You know that? You can just go talk to Dr. Fields. I can't fix you, but she probably can. You see, we need to understand reconciliation has to be a priority in our lives. Jesus stresses that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 25. And I'm going to read that passage to you. He said, you've heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Listen to verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and then remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, be First, be reconciled. First, be reconciled. First, be reconciled. He didn't say first offer and receive forgiveness. He said be reconciled. 
Because reconciliation begins with forgiveness, it ends with a restored relationship. Jesus is looking at the end game. Paul was looking at the end game. First be reconciled to your brother. First be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and he'll be thrown into the prison. Now, surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you've paid the last penny. That's a pretty strong picture, isn't it? And what is his cure? His cure is reconciliation. We must make reconciliation a priority. We need to understand that because we're humans, we're going to have problems. We're going to have disagreements. You won't always like me and you won't always agree with me. That's part of life. Because you live in this fleshly shell. Because you are a person who's made from dirt and flesh. That's going to happen. There will be arguments. There will be dissensions. There will be strife. But we have an answer and the answer is reconciliation. The answer is not to stop talking to that person for the next 47 years. Can you imagine these people that have hard hearts toward each other and all of a sudden they find themselves on the golden streets of heaven and there's the person they refused to even speak to, went to church, was set on the opposite side of the aisles, wouldn't even talk to them. What are you going to do if you get there? If you get there. If you get there, what are you going to do? I know this isn't easy stuff, but folks, this is reality. This is where we're at in the church. Not just this church, but every church needs to understand the ministry of reconciliation. It must be a priority in our hearts and in our lives. This is reinforced in the Old Testament. Hosea 6, 6, the Bible says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You'll find the same thing from Jesus in Matthew 12, 7. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And here in Matthew 5, he said, if you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Don't offer it as a sacrifice. Why? Because God's not going to accept it. And go and reconcile with that brother. Reconcile with that brother. Jesus teaches us that restoring relationships Write this down and remember it. Restoring relationships are more important than religious practices. You see, the whole point of coming to church is for God to search my heart. God to find in me any evil or wicked way and root it out from me. And if I'm harboring hard feelings or resentment towards a brother or a sister, God exposed that and root it out from me. Let me ask, or receive forgiveness, and then let's take the next step and move to reconciliation. The second thing the Bible teaches us about reconciliation, when we're approaching someone in that situation, is we should do it in a spirit of meekness, humility, and keep it private. Matthew 18, verse 15 bears that out, where Jesus says these words, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You see, that's the biblical pattern. That's why Larry and Leanne are still sitting in some uh, podunk church today, angry and miserable at that couple from 25 years ago, because they didn't understand, you've got to take the step to reconcile. You see, forgiveness begins when we acknowledge the hurt and acknowledge the pain. And forgiveness completes when we can remember that incident without remembering the hurt and the pain. And that shows us we really can move to that place of 
reconciliation. If we do it in a spirit of meekness and keep it between us and them. The goal is to communicate so we resolve the problem. Not, listen to me, not to make the other person look bad. So many times that's our goal. Daniel, I got something against you, buddy. I am so ticked with you. You treated me like dirt. You acted like I was beneath you. That you're better than I am. Daniel, I have no use for you and no room for you. That's the way we do it. That's the way we do it. No, it should be, Daniel, I'm sorry for the hurt that was between us. And please forgive me for my part in incurring that hurt. And I want you to restore me as your brother. A spirit of meekness and humility. That's what the Bible teaches us. Don't try to put the other person down. Don't try to make them look bad. Don't try to push your position of right. You see, when we do that, we're operating in the flesh, not the spirit. We're operating from the natural, the carnal, not from the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Proverbs 10, 19 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers sin. You see, the motivation and reconciliation is not being right or being wrong. It's loving one another. Jesus said in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Therefore, all men will know you are my disciples because you have loved one for another. Do you understand it's pretty difficult to have Jesus' kind of love and be angry and bitter and resentful? Pretty difficult to do, yet that's what he tells us. We should love one another. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to read it. I don't have time. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. All these scriptures verify that we should approach one another for reconciliation in the spirit of meekness, humbleness, and keeping it between ourselves. And third, finally, the Bible says that when we are moving into that ministry of reconciliation, when we are ambassadors of reconciliation, when God is imploring through us to other individuals, we must be willing to ask for forgiveness, and we must be willing to offer forgiveness. Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35 makes that very clear, and look at that with me. Says these words, Then Peter came to him and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother against me? And I... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, children, and all that he had, and payment be made. Listen, the servant fell down. The servant fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down to his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told the master all that had been done. And then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. 
Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. My father, my heavenly father also... Oh my goodness, what a hard statement. This is one of those we skip over. This is the verse we never read. Because it's hard, it's difficult, it doesn't fit with our philosophy in the Western world. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you from his heart if you do not forgive his brother his trespasses. You understand that's a parable. It's a story illustrating a scriptural principle. The scriptural principle was forgiveness. And how many times do I have to forgive that same knothead for doing the same thing to me? That's what Peter was saying. There is a knucklehead I have to deal with every day, and every day this guy needs to be forgiven. How many times until I can say enough is enough? How about seven? It's the number of God, the number of completion. How about seven? What did Jesus say? No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You do the math, you figure it out, and then put it into a one-day period of time. I've never met anyone that I have to forgive 490 times in a single day. Never had that happen, have you? That's what Jesus is saying. You need to lift the bar. Because if you don't, there's going to be a day of recompense. See, what did he say in the Lord's Prayer? He said, you need to pray this way. Father, forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us. It's a scriptural principle. If we refuse to walk in forgiveness, we shouldn't expect anything from the Father. And I don't know about, oh, I've already said it, so I do know about you. None of us are perfect. All of us need forgiveness from the Father. So if we need to know He forgives us every day, I better be forgiven, my brothers. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter what they said. It doesn't matter how ugly they acted. It's my responsibility to offer forgiveness and to bring reconciliation. Matter of fact, here's a quick word lesson for you. Forgiveness comes from two basic words. The first means to enforce, and the second means to give up. So when you put it together, it means that when I forgive someone, I'm giving up my right to enforce my ought against them. I'm giving up my right to enforce justice against them. I'm asking for forgiveness by the offender, and that releases me from my right. Tom, will you come back? To enforce justice against them. It's in your outline, you need to remember, there is no category in Christian discipleship that enables us to love the Lord and hate the Lord's people. Let me make that a little stronger. There's no category in Christian discipleship that allows us us to love the Lord and to hate people, period. You know, I've talked to so many people in my life that they can't get over what happened years ago. Someone has hurt them. Someone has wounded them. Someone has offended them. And they carry that offense with them to the very grave. Refusing to forgive or be forgiven. Refusing to bring reconciliation. Because reconciliation, remember, begins with forgiveness. It ends with restored relationships. My parents. Let me back up and tell you the whole story. In 1889, my great-grandfather staked a claim in western Oklahoma. Now, he did it illegally. He was a sooner. He went in before the land runs, found the piece of property he wanted, and staked his claim. That was on my dad's side. On my mom's side, her great-grandfather 
came in with the land runs. He found a piece of property that directly adjoined Grandpa Patterson's and he staked his claim. And not only did he stake his claim, he pulled up Grandpa Patterson's stake. So when Grandpa Patterson came back uh, a few weeks later after the land run to take possession of his claim, the stake was gone. And in its place, instead of Patterson, it was Paige. And he took his double barrel shotgun. He walked over to that dugout where my grandpa, great grandpa Paige lived, pointed the shotgun in his face and said, that's my claim. You can't have it. And from that day forward in 1889, a feud began between those two families. There were no county lines. There were no roads. They lived side by side, just like this. And for years, that feud carried on. Fighting, murmuring, backbiting, calling one another names, cutting fences, poisoning water holes. Whatever they could do to hurt one another, they did. And then in 1949, my dad and my mom fell in love and got married. And with that union, that feud ended once and for all. What I'm saying to you, friend, you shouldn't allow something to continue for years that God wants you to stop today. God wants to end today. Don't wait for some great event. Don't wait for some great spiritual awakening. It's here today. If you need reconciliation with a brother or a sister, today's the day. Some of you in this room need to be reconciled with God through the cross. Your sins are ever before him. He's offered his son Jesus as the sacrifice, the atonement, the kafar for your sins so that you can come to him and be forgiven and changed. More than anything, God wants to reconcile you with himself through his son Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room need to be reconciled with brothers and sisters. Some of you need to be reconciled with family members. You see, it's time to strip off the pride, to lay down the offense. Across this altar area are spread little sticky notes and ink pens. Stand to your feet with me, everyone. This is what we're going to do. I had the cross moved down this morning because I want us to take those sources of offense, those people who have offended or bruised us or wounded us, and I want us to write the name or the incident. And once you do that, I want you to bring it over here, and I want you to stick it to the cross. Because if there's one thing Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's that first and foremost we are reconciled by God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And he has then given to us the ministry, the word of reconciliation to take that promise and that hope to those who've offended and hurt us. So this morning we're going to pray in just a second. But before we do... If you've got something in your heart you need to settle between God or a family member or a friend or a church member or a neighbor, it doesn't matter. Today is a day of reconciliation. Would you just step out and begin to come, find one of these little pads, write on it whatever it is, and go stick it to the cross. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. 
a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.